try and manufacture something and try and make it happen. Um, he's actually just, he just kind of rests in God's presence, just says, do you know what? If God, has, if God has spoken this, I can trust God to see it through to completion. There's such humility in the way that he handles um, situations like that. So he was, that's something of his personality that he's then passing on to his children, to Solomon, um, who then becomes king, to his other children, and to the people of Israel, really. If you look back at Jewish history, um, many Jewish historians would say that the, the period of David was, if you like, the, the pinnacle of um, the, the, the Jewish um, history really it was it was kind of all climaxed at that point and then Solomon kind of stepped into these massive shoes to fill um, as uh, Israel was united Israel was prosperous Israel was established they'd essentially defeated all of their enemies um, they were essentially if you like they were um, the superpower at the time um, and then we also see um, that David left the position he left his kingship um, so he was um, it's quite interesting if you look at, uh, if you like, the last few chapters of um, 2 Samuel and the first chapter of uh, 1 Kings. Throughout those chapters, what we see is we see quite a jostling of position. As David is obviously getting older and he's getting weaker, um, and a lot of his sons and um, courtiers and those around him are starting to think, well, what's going to happen? What's, what, what, what's going to what's be next? What's going to come after him? And David, although he's an old man, um, he's too sick, he can't really get up and about. Um, and one of his sons assumes the kingship. Um, one of his sons essentially takes the kingdom from him, takes the kingship um, and assumes that David won't really be with it um, and pay attention to what's happening. But actually what, what happens is um, the kingdom had already been promised to Solomon. Um, and so David then, before he dies, appoints Solomon king. Um, and so we see this other son as all sorts of things that happen after David's death that happens to him. Um, but as Solomon is then established as king. And so David leaves, if you like, this position, this kingly position. He leaves Solomon on the throne. Um, he, he kind of steps out when he uh, slept with his fathers. Um, he leaves Solomon, um, who is uh, now king over Israel, who's in charge, um, who's the one who's going to carry the nation and take, it for, take them forward. Um, and with a lot of... Um, Promises. Promises are the other things um, that David leaves behind. Um, he had, uh, we looked at it a few weeks ago, a um, very significant promise that God made um, to David uh, right back in 2 Samuel. Um, if we just get that one back up on the slide, this is a, a short snippet of it. Um, uh, I actually preached a sermon a few weeks ago. If you, you, know, if you want to hear uh, the fuller version, then please um, do Pick that out. Um, but from 2 Samuel, um, just verses uh, 12 to 16 uh, in chapter 7, um, uh, these are some of the promises that David um, is carrying. Uh, in verse 12, it says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers when you die, um, which is just what's happened in uh, 1 Kings, um, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with a rod of men with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, who I put away, who I, whom I put away from before you, um, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That's quite a promise. 
Right? That's quite a promise to be living with. That's quite a promise when you die to then be able to charge um, your children with um, or whoever your successor is to, to charge them that um, your throne shall be established forever. The house of David and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Um, that's a huge promise that, 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 that David essentially leaves behind as a part of his legacy, as a part of this charging the next generation. Um, and actually, if we understand legacy... Um, correctly, then, then David is only a part of the story. He carries this promise, but actually David really carries promises from all of the generations previously to him. So if you like, there were promises made about David's kingship. There were promises made um, about his throne, about his kingdom, about the nation of Israel that actually were all fulfilled in David. And so he carries these kind, this kind of weight um, behind him um, that dates right back really to um, Abraham, um, who was a guy uh, right back at the beginning in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Um, in Genesis verse 12, uh, I don't think it will come up behind me, but God makes a promise to Abraham that the nations would be blessed through him. God basically calls Abraham um, out of his place and calls him and says, I'm going to make out of you a nation for myself. I'm going to make you um, a chosen people. I'm going to make you special. And Abraham, if you like, is the forefather. We could trace that all the way down through um, Israel's generations to David. And so there's this massive promise that David is then living with, that actually the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through Abraham and his children. Um, So it's huge, really. And so what happened to then Solomon? Um, So Solomon uh, has been, if we jump back to one king, Solomon has been um, essentially a crowned king. He's been established on the throne, um, as we just saw um, right at the end, and his kingdom was firmly established. Well, to understand something of, if you like, the, the... the charge, the legacy, the, 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 if you like, the emphasis that David is placing on it. Um, let's jump back to the beginning of that chapter um, in chapter 2. Um, it says at the beginning of chapter 2, When David's time to die drew near, um, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules and his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do um, and whatever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. He's basically saying to Solomon, listen, if you don't stray from God, if you stay close to him, if you listen to him, if you obey his commandments, if you um, stick close, then actually there will never be a, um, there will never be, um, 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 shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. You'll never lose a king. You'll never be out of pocket. You'll always have somebody that will um, rule the nation of Israel. And actually that kingdom will be established, as, as we read about um, in 2 Samuel, forever and ever and ever and ever. Right? There'll be a, a lineage that comes as a result of that. And so what we find is actually Solomon started out great. Um, Solomon received this and actually started out great. But actually Solomon... Um, 
although uh, the nation of Israel grew more prosperous under Solomon, um, it's largely thought that Solomon was, if you like, the economic peak um, of Israel. Um, Solomon had incredible wisdom, famed wisdom. And the Queen of Sheba came um, to ask him questions and basically said, I-, I wasn't even told the half of how wise you are. Like, this is nothing compared to what I've been told. You are so much wiser than I even thought. Um, and it's, it's incredible, really, when you read about what Solomon accomplished and um, just essentially his, his wisdom is incredible. Um, and, you know, that's why we have several books of the Bible that are devoted to the wisdom of Solomon. Um, and we see that, but very soon after, during Solomon's reign, um, if we jump forward to uh, 1 Kings chapter 11, um, I know there's a little bit of jumping around, um, but most of the verses will come up behind me. Um, but if we jump to um, 1 Kings chapter 11, um, Solomon has essentially been on um, a fairly good trajectory um, to this point. Um, and if we read from 1 Kings um, 11 verses 3 and 4, um, uh, he had 700 wives uh, who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. And so David has warned Solomon. He said to him, you've got to stay close to God. Don't depart from him. Don't leave him. Don't just do your own thing. Don't just shun his rules. Don't shun his commandments. You've got, to, you've got to stay close to God. God is the one that can lead you through. And yet we see this a few uh, chapters later. We see that Solomon, um, 700 wives, 300 concubines, he married people from outside the nation of Israel. Um, and what happened is they turned his heart away from the Lord. And so Solomon, if you like, deviates from the plan that God has got for him. He deviates from the plan that he gave to David. Um, He said, if you were going to stick close to me, then you would never have a man um, that wasn't on the throne of Israel. And actually what we see is, is under Solomon, his son, um, the kingdom split. Um, And within a, Soon after that, we see um, the Assyrians taking the northern kingdom and then Judah, which is the only uh, tribe really left um, in uh, the nation of Israel or within the borders of Israel at the time, what was um, Israel, is essentially taken off into exile by the Babylons. Um, And then from then on, it's a pretty bleak period. Solomon died in about 931 BC. And so from that period, we have about 950 years um, of seemingly not much happening. Um, This nation of Israel that was promised such incredible things, um, that was promised such um, a climax, is now, if you like, kind of slipping into obscurity almost as they're basically a displaced people group. Um, They're exiles. um, And, you know, Jewish history records there are flashes of um, kind of almost, almost hope uh, so where I read uh, that verse from Nehemiah that I quoted earlier, um, Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. Um, but even once they'd rebuilt the walls, um, those that remembered the former um, city of Jerusalem wept because um, it was nothing like the former city. And so we see, although there's, there, there's moments of hope, it never quite reaches that climax um, that it was under Solomon. And this idea of David's lineage, um, this idea of David's son, almost becomes a bit of a Jewish legend, um, as if it's kind of, it, it's some, some, 
it's kind of a um, uh, it's kind of a messianic title that gets thrown around as the son of David will come um, and reestablish Jerusalem. The son of David will come and establish God's throne. The son of David will come and save God's people from their enemies. He will establish them again. Um, he'll vanquish the enemies. They'll be at peace again. They'll be prosperous. They'll ha- be in their own land, etc., etc. And this idea of the son of David. Um, Actually, for about 900 years, um, just ten, tends to kind of come up at various different points. Um, but it's this title almost, the Son of David, um, is, if you like, a, a, a promised messianic title um, that one will come after um, who will redeem God's people and will fulfill all that was promised to David um, and all that was lost through successive generations. And so this idea of legacy... Um, this, this title, the son of David, is, if you like, the legacy of David. It, it almost feels a little bit lost somewhere as this nation is, is now trying to figure out who they are, um, what they do, wh- wh- where they are, how they, how they compute all of this, how they understand um, circumstances they find themselves in. And so at that point, I want us to turn, uh, leap forward several hundred years, um, to Jesus, to when Jesus arrives on the scene. Because actually, if we, look at, um, if we look at the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, we see genealogies of Jesus. Uh, we see that Jesus is actually a direct descendant of David. Uh, we can trace that right the way through. So um, he is physically, he is a son of David, if you like. Um, he um, is one of David's descendants. And we also see actually throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus referred to 13 times as the son of David. The son of David. People ascribe that title to him. You are the son of David. Um, so one famous, um, uh, one famous example when um, blind Bartimaeus, there's a guy, he's uh, blind from birth, um, is on the road, and he calls out, son of David, to Jesus. And the crowds just kind of try and get rid of him because he's a blind guy and he do, they don't know what he's going to do. Um, and then he cries out again, son of David. And there's, this, there's something about this title, the son of David, the promised one, the one who's going to fulfill the legacy, the one who's going to carry it forward for us, who's going to establish um, Israel again, the son of David. Um, we see that over and over again. And Jesus, when he appears, Jesus' mission, he comes to redeem God's people. He is that son of David. He is that messianic title. Uh, and he comes um, to redeem God's people. And the way that he does that um, is by dying on the cross. By dying on the cross for their sin, for your sin, for my sin. Um, for, by dying on that cross, he defeats God's enemies. He defeats the enemies of God. Um, he defeats Satan. He defeats sin. He defeats death. Um, at, we, if we had time, we would go into huge amounts of detail. Um, but God, Jesus defeats them at the cross and actually rises again victorious. And as he does so, um, he essentially he establishes a throne that will never perish. In fact, it was prophesied of Jesus in Luke 1 that actually his throne would never be taken away. That actually um, God would give Jesus this throne of David. That, that Jesus would be the fulfillment of that, that he would step into that legacy and he would, um, if you like, establish um, that throne. And then 
Uh, if we have a quick look at uh, Colossians 2, uh, just quickly over the page. Uh, in verses 13 and 15, this is um, Paul, a New Testament writer, writing about Jesus. Um, and he says, and you, speaking to the Colossians, um, you who were dead in your trespasses, that's wrongdoing, that's our sin, that's our rebellion, that's the ugly parts that we don't want to admit, um, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Um, so circumcision is the Jewish mark that would mark them as God's people. Um, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses having forgiven us all our sin, having forgiven us all our wrongdoing, having forgiven us all of our rebellion by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. And Jesus does this with such humility. As we read the Gospels time and time again, um, Jesus, Jesus is essentially um, tried on trumped-up charges that had no foundation, um, and yet he, he didn't say a word because he, he knew what God had called him to do. And he humbly submitted himself to God's plan and God's purpose. In fact, just like David did, he submitted himself to God's plan and God's purpose, and he just humbly was obedient um, to what God had called him to do, and he stepped into that. And we also see that actually Jesus, if you like, becomes this fulfillment of those promises where he establishes a throne, where he disarms the rulers, where he disarms um, the powers. He establishes this throne. That's the fulfillment of David's promise, the promise that God made to David, that he would have a house that would last forever. In fact, more than that, he's the promise that he fulfills the promise that was made to Abraham. Back in Genesis 12, that he would be a blessing to the nations. That through this man, the nations of the world would be blessed. Um, Because what happens is, as Jesus dies, any hope, anything that we can try to do to earn our way to God, actually, God makes that leap and comes down in human form as Jesus dies on the cross so that we can know forgiveness so that we can come um, confidently, boldly before him and put our trust in him. The Bible calls it adoption. We are adopted. If you're adopted, you become part of the family. And it even says in Ephesians uh, 3, this won't come up behind me, uh, unfortunately. Um, in Ephesians 3, 6, it says this mystery is talking about um, the good news of Jesus, his death on the cross and his resurrection. So this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Gentiles were non-Jews. The Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. We're brought into the family and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That actually, as believers, as we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we get adopted into this family and we come into um, Christ's family. We come into God's family. And actually, all of these promises, all of this legacy that has been left is now ours. When we're found in Christ, because he is the promise, he is the, the one who, he's our ticket in. We come into this legacy. We come into this um, incredible 
um, family that has spanned generations, that has spanned eternity, um, and we get to play a part in that. In Romans 8, it makes it really clear. Um, In Romans 8, it says, um, verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also uh, be glorified with him. See, we're now heirs. We get, we, we get to inherit this legacy, this incredible legacy that, that God's kingdom, God's throne will be established forever. That he will defeat his enemies. That he has defeated them at the cross. We get brought into this. And actually more than that, when we put our trust in Jesus, um, we receive the Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit that calls us his own, the the Holy Spirit that um, witnesses and bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What an incredible gift. Jesus, uh, when he talks about um, the gift of the Holy Spirit, um, he talks about him as a helper, as a counsel, as a guide, one who draws alongside which means actually we now have an incredible legacy in him. That actually in Christ we have such richness, such fullness, that actually through his Holy Spirit we can know victory. We can know conquering over sin. We can know what it is to pursue God with all our heart and love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, body and strength. We can know what it is to actually obey his commandments which Solomon have failed to do. We can know what it is to actually trust in him um, with all of our heart and have him, if you like, set us um, on this legacy. And right at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 22, right at the end, this is what Jesus says of himself. He says, I am the root of and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. He says, I am the root, the beginning, before. Jesus is the eternal one who was with God in the beginning and the descendant of David. He's a son. He's an heir. He's one that comes after him. He's one that steps into the legacy. He's one that that perfectly and humbly um, obeys God in all that he does and in his life exemplifies what it is to honor God perfectly and in his death likewise exemplifies what it is to trust and honor God perfectly. Um, So what do we do with this idea of David's legacy? What do we do with this idea that now we're part of God's family, that we're brought into this incredible legacy? Um, Well, it might be that um, for some of us we're struggling to think actually... um, a legacy, I, I don't necessarily understand what that is. Perhaps, as I mentioned right at the beginning, there's certain areas or, or aspects of your own character that perhaps you've 
inherited, that you've assumed um, from your own earthly legacy, from your own earthly uh, families um, and parents. And it says in 1 Peter, um, just quickly, uh, 1 Peter 1 verse 17, it says, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish and or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. That idea that actually all of our earthly fathers, just like David, stumbled and fell and found forgiveness and mercy. Actually, all of our earthly fathers and mothers um, and families will stumble and fall. Um, and we have to figure out what we're going to do with that. And actually, from 1 Peter, it says, let's, let's put off the futile ways inherited from our forefathers. As let's, 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 we were ransomed from those things. We were, bought, we were adopted into a family that didn't have those character traits. We were brought into a family where our responsibility wasn't abdicated. We're brought into a family where maybe abuse isn't tolerated. We're brought into a family where actually God is our father and we can put our hope and our trust in him. Perhaps um, you're sat here and you're thinking to yourself, but I'm, I, I haven't even put my trust in Jesus. Um, I, I don't even know if I'm part of this family. I don't know if I've been brought into this legacy. And that's got to be the first place that we start. That's got to be the first place, is putting our trust in the accomplishing work of Jesus on the cross. Knowing that on the cross, he dealt with our sin. He dealt with our wrongdoing. That he put those rulers and powers to shame on that cross where he cancelled that record of debt um, that stood against us. That has to be the first place. And actually, the Bible also talks about turning away from um, our selfishness, turning away from our pride, and actually putting Jesus on the throne. And we could do that. We can put Jesus on the throne of our lives. We could say, in my heart of hearts, Jesus, I'm all yours. I give you my heart. I give you the central place. You are seated on the throne of my life, and I want to live humbly before you and obey all that you have for me to do. But you see, if legacy is about family, then yes, we can look at our place in the legacy. We can look at whether we're part of God's family, and those are all valid things, and we have to do those things. But we can also see ourselves as a church, as a part of God's legacy. You see, the idea of God's family being a part of his legacy isn't really anything new. Um, The church has been around for couple of centuries, uh, a couple of millennia now, um, centuries, it's close, um, a couple of millennia, right? And actually what we do hasn't really changed. Witnessing to Christ, reaching neighborhoods, reaching friends, um, telling people about the good news of Jesus, it hasn't really changed. Okay, the expression might look different, um, we might have a fancy drum machine um, or whatever, but, but actually the fundamentals of what we're about hasn't changed. The fact that Jesus lived, died, and rose again and reigns victorious hasn't changed. And actually, even in the last 300 years, there's some big figures that have impacted this city. 
Think about John Wesley, Charles Spurgeon, William Booth. If you don't know these names, look them up because they're part of our legacy. These, these, these are men and women alongside them who fought for our city, who literally sometimes fought for our city. Who, you know, John Wesley is buried down in Old Street. You know, these, these, these are big, big people and they're part of our legacy. You know, we haven't got new shiny ideas. Actually, what we do is we carry on what saints, what believers have been doing faithfully for 2,000 years. It's witnessing to Christ and living for him and putting him first in all that we do. So every time we share our faith with a friend or a neighbor, that's what we're doing. We're playing our part in God's legacy. Every time we pray for somebody that's sick, it's a part of God's legacy. And every time that we stand up for somebody who's perhaps being bullied at work, um, it's a part of God's legacy. Every time we fight for truth, it's a part of God's legacy. Every time we try and tackle injustice, it's a fight for the legacy of God and his kingdom and his rule and his reign in our life. And so it should force us to ask the question then, we've received this legacy. So what sort of legacy are we going to leave? What legacy are we going to leave for the little ones? Two, three, four, five, six-year-olds running around at the front. What legacy are we going to leave as a church? What's going to be the thing that characterizes, marks us as God's people, fighting for the kingdom, fighting for his legacy, fighting for his reign, fighting for his throne, his um, authority to be worked out in London? We have to ask ourselves, what's our legacy going to be? It's not enough to think, well, great, we're having a great time. Isn't it wonderful that we've got wonderful music? Isn't it great that we've got great community? It's not enough. What are we leaving? What's going to come after? What, what, what are we blessing future generations with? So why don't we jump to our feet? Um, I'm going to pray. If the band would like to come back up. I know we're pushing time a little bit. Um, but I just want to give God space... Um, to speak into some situations. Um, I really feel like it's important um, that, that we allow God that freedom um, to be able to speak. Lord Jesus, we thank you that through you, Lord, we are adopted into an incredible family. Lord, we thank you that now we are heirs Lord, thank you that we are co-heirs with Christ. Lord, thank you that we are heirs of an incredible um, inheritance, incredible freedom, incredible joy. Um, Lord, thank you that we can um, put our hands to the plow, Lord, and we can serve you with humility, knowing that, Lord, you support us by your grace, through your Holy Spirit. Lord, you equip us to live for you in this generation, Lord, in this part of London. Lord, you equip us um, to shine as lights bright in the darkness. And Lord, we just pray that you would um, just come, Lord, you would equip us afresh, Lord, that we would gather something of your um, legacy. We'd gather something of the bigger picture of what you're doing. um, And that, Lord, we we would treat, um, Lord, any plans, um, anything that we have, Lord, with real, um, Lord, just humility, Lord, and we'd submit them to you, Lord, and we'd give you the freedom to constantly speak, to constantly direct, to constantly lead. 
um, and that, Jesus, you would take center stage. Lord, that you would live on the throne of our hearts. Lord, that you would live on the throne um, over this city, that you would live on the throne over this church, and that, Jesus, we would give ourselves wholly to you afresh, knowing, Lord, that we have such an incredible um, legacy that has been laid and mapped out before us. And, Jesus, we thank you for the hope that we now have in you. Amen. I just feel like there's um I just feel like there's some people here um and just as I was talking about um the futile way inherited by your forefathers um I felt like um it's almost the first time you've realized it it's kind of perhaps the first time that it's really struck you and perhaps you had great parents but you never really thought that perhaps they could be at fault And I just really feel like God would want to just impress upon you um, just the humility to come to him. Just bring it to him. Otherwise what happens is these issues, they become stumbling blocks. They become stumbling blocks to our growth, to our maturity. They become stumbling blocks um, in our Christian walk. Actually we we start to spot patterns and things that we think, that's a bit wonky, that doesn't seem right. Um, And I just felt God say, um, kind of, there's something about the futile ways inherited by our forefathers. We've been ransomed from them. We've been bought with the blood of Jesus. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't nice. But we've been ransomed. We've been bought. We've been purchased by the blood so that we can walk out of those. And it's not dishonoring to parents. If anything, it's honoring for those that wanted the best for you to actually step forward in that and recognize that they weren't perfect. And recognize that we won't come under those same issues. We won't come under those same problems. But actually we will grow, we will mature, and we will, we will become all that God has for us through it. Uh, we're going to gather back and we're going to take bread and wine um, as the band play. Um, feel free to take bread and wine um, uh, in community together. We love to do that. If you're not a believer... Um, and we just ask you just to sit it out. It, the bread and wine hasn't got any special power. It's just something we love to do um, to honor um, the presence of the Lord, to honor the sacrifice that he made, to remember um, his blood shed for us and his body broken for us. Um, and so we're going to gather back together. I know we're short of time, um, so please don't um, hang about for that. Um, amen.